If you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to take it and turn to Isaiah 35 this evening. Isaiah chapter 35. Helpful sometimes just to take a break from our usual studies. And as I've mentioned, we'll return, God willing, in the new year to Hebrews as well as to the Gospel of Luke. But we're on Isaiah 35 this evening. It's very, such a very short portion in Handel's Messiah, but I don't want to miss the, the text and the simplicity of it. So we will read the entirety of the chapter, Isaiah chapter 35, and as you may be aware, the early portion of Isaiah has much emphasis on judgment. There's, there's a lot that is uh, condemning, and yet there, there are peppered through the opening 39 chapters little windows of hope of what the Lord is going to do. And so we have it here in this chapter as well. So Isaiah 35, let's hear the word of the Lord. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs, an everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Amen. May the Lord bless the public reading of His precious, infallible Word. Let's pray and seek the Lord again, beloved. Our God, we are so thankful for the one that we've been singing of who has come to ransom captive Israel. We're thankful for the liberating work of our Lord Jesus, the one who has performed the great exodus for the souls of men, 
We're thankful, gracious God, for thy divine intervention in each of our lives. For those of us saved, we can declare what the Lord has done for us personally. We've had our own personal exodus. God has delivered us. Jesus Christ has led us out of captivity and bondage and into liberty and freedom and life. We're thankful that since we stand on such ground tonight that this can never be reversed. It can't be taken from us. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And Lord, we pray that those of us in Christ and rejoicing in Thy Son may further rejoice even more tonight as we consider the simple reality of what is before us this evening. And for those unsaved, those with doubts about their salvation, those that are standing and just lurking in the fringes of the land of promise, they're, they're looking in upon it and they, they would desire to be in it, but they're not yet there. We pray for them that by Thy grace Thou will pick them up and just drag them in. Lift them, Lord. Lift them into the land of hope and life and liberty and salvation. Put them into the arms of the Lord Jesus, we pray. So do Thy work. Give understanding. Give a desire to hear. And we pray for the unstopping of ears and the mighty working of the Spirit upon hearts. So despite our weakness and frailty, both to preach and to hear the Word, do Thy work. Give us deliverance over the activity of the evil one and glorify Christ. May He be exalted, for we pray in His name. Amen. Much of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ was spent in giving unequivocal proof that He was truly who He was and is, namely, the promised Messiah. As you see Him going about His ministry, He continues to do one thing after another that was prophesied to give evidence of the fact that He is indeed the Son of God sent down from heaven. It's not just what He did in terms of liberating men, but how they signal evidence of the fact that He is the Messiah. And so in Matthew chapter 11, for example, verses 3 and 5, we're told there where the disciples of John are sent, and different ideas about whether John is sending his disciples because he's in a period of doubt, or whether he is sending them because his disciples aren't quite sure, and they need confirmation that they need to get their eyes on Christ rather than on John. But whatever the case, they come and say, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which he do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So whatever's going on there, and I'm not going to get into that now, but whatever's going on there, it is seen that what Christ is doing, his, evident, his ministry itself is evidence that He is the one that was promised. Art thou He that should come? Well, look at what is being accomplished. See what is being done. A little later in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 15 and verse 30 and following, it speaks of great multitudes came unto Him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and He healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered 
when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. All was going on to give evidence. And when you, when you, when you look at these verses, when you focus in on passages like this that don't just give us individual events, and we'll see some of them later tonight, but when you look at the, the kind of sweeping statements of the, the way in which multitudes were impacted by the Lord Jesus and people were, had praise drawn out of them, you, you really wonder how you get to the point that you get to when he is arrested and he is standing before the multitude and they are calling for his crucifixion. So much evidence over the years of his ministry, so much proof, so much factual, undeniable realities that were going on that were designed for a people that knew their Bible to trigger in them an understanding, this is he that should come. We're not looking for another. This is the one. The incarnation is God's answer to the curse and its effects. That's what we come away with. As we look at the ministry of Christ and we see these impossible things happening time after time after time after time, it is evidence that in the hand of the Son of God is the power to reverse the curse, to undo what came by Adam's sin and rebellion against God. He holds the power to change the entire experience of men. Isaiah 35 gives to us indication of that change and transformation. I'm not going to look at the surrounding verses or give consideration to all that it is saying, but certainly that is the case, isn't it? Where it is looking at this experience where everything changes. There's, and you see verse 9, for example, No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. So there's a sense in which there are no danger. All the effects of the curse and its horrors upon the world are undone by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we bring it back to the incarnation. It is because God has made man. It is by the incarnation these things, we begin to see God working this out in the world, especially through the ministry of Christ particularly. But what we have here, in particularly verses 5 and 6, is the focus of our attention tonight, is just kind of focusing in on these things that were seen in the ministry of Christ. And what that one that was born in Bethlehem was born to do. Verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. It's quite, quite something. And you're reading this, you're reading this in the time in which it is prophesied, when it's declared by Isaiah. And you're trying to comprehend a world in which this is going on. It is difficult to imagine. Just to put yourself there when, when the, the nations are, are surrounded, the cities are filled with, with the blind and with the deaf and with the lame and with the dumb. And it's just part of life. It's part of life. These, these individuals living in the community, this is part of the existence. And God is saying that this is going to be turned around going to be changed. But what becomes evident through the ministry of Christ is that it's not just about the physical, that the physical reflects spiritual reality. And so when we're seeing the blind receiving their sight and so on, what we're also seeing is the true condition of all men. 
and how Christ is the answer for them. And so I'm, I'm taking this message very simply tonight, looking at verses 5 and 6 with the Lord's help. And what I, I, what I will endeavor to do is to especially address those of you that are not yet converted. You, you're not in Christ. You, you, you do not have a testimony. You have no strong evidence in your heart and life that you belong to the Lord. I'm going to speak plainly. I'm going to address you directly. And I hope that you will listen and hear what the Lord is saying in these verses to you. I titled the message simply, The Curse-Reversing Influence of the Incarnate Christ. When you look at Jesus born in Bethlehem, you're seeing the first sign that God is going to reverse the curse. That by the miracle of God taking flesh, if God takes flesh, He has the ability. I mean, that's the greatest miracle. If God can take flesh and dwell among us in that form, He can reverse and undo all the effects of the fall and all the judgment that we experience in this world and in this life. So, let us see it very simply. The curse of blindness reversed. The curse of blindness reversed. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Turn to Mark 10 for a moment. We're going to look at various passages. I will make no assumptions as to your awareness of the various details of the ministry of our Lord Jesus. Mark 10, verse 46. Here we have one of the accounts of the blind. Mark 10, 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples... And a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. Now you can imagine, that's, that's what he spent his time doing. Unable to see meant he could not provide for himself. Severely limited his ability to do anything to keep himself alive and sustain his own existence. And so this is where he was found, the highway side begging. Verse 47, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise. He calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Oh, oh, there's so much instruction here. But for those of you that have yet to see the Lord, there are all sorts of voices telling you not to give your life to Christ. There are voices that are just like those in the crowd that are saying, stop, quiet, don't appeal to Christ, don't turn to Him, don't cry out to Him. They're saying things designed to restrain you and prevent you from turning onto Christ with all of your heart. These voices may be literal voices, actual 
people in your life. They may also be the voice of other addictions or temptations or habits. The voice of all sorts of things. Maybe the fear of man. Maybe one think, even the voice of, I couldn't keep it. All sorts of voices. They're trying to drown out and prevent and squash and quell that inner sense that I should cry out to Jesus. Thankfully, blind Bartimaeus stands as an example to you. Don't let anything, don't let anyone, don't allow anything to stop you from crying out to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he cries the more. I love it. He cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. So you hear that he calleth thee, he calleth thee. And so this is what Jesus did. He called men. He called men. He looked at men like blind Bartimaeus. He, he saw them in their plight. He heard their cry, and he, he calls them to himself. He doesn't cast them aside. He doesn't ignore their appeal. Same is true, of course, of the man in John 9, the man blind from birth. We're not told that concerning blind Bartimaeus. There are all sorts of reasons, diseases, and things that set in through life that that hinder our sight and cause blindness. But on occasion, men can be born blind, born without their, their eyeballs, or, or born with a, an issue with the optic nerve, or born with some other thing that prevents them from being able to see at all. And that was the case for the man in John chapter 9, the man who's blind from birth. And I'll not turn there, as tempting as it is, but again you have this, this wonderful example of what the Lord is able to do. He's able to, to, to give this man sight, to give him sight, and change his life. But what I want you to see here are a couple of things. First of all, union with Christ enables us to see ourselves. Union with Christ enables us to see ourselves. We are so limited in the ability to see ourselves. The way we see ourselves is naturally defensive. And if you're without Christ, one of the reasons you continue without Christ and without peace is because you're naturally defensive about your moral quality. You don't really see yourself to be as bad as you are. And here I am, a preacher, week after week, trying to, through prayer and through the preaching of the Word, to help you see that you're undone in your sin, lost and you can't save yourself, and your sin is wicked, and we, we read the law, and it exposes the condition of our heart. And yet still, still you, you, you tell a different narrative to yourself, I'm not really that bad. Or the fact that I, I have an interest in Christ should be sufficient. The fact that I have this, this kind of desire to be a Christian. And that, that's maybe why you're here. You have some loose desire. It's not like you're completely opposed to the idea of being a Christian. You're not persecuting Christians. You're here sitting among them tonight. And there may be in your mind, well, because I have some inkling of interest in it, then the Lord will carry me into His presence at the last. But you have no confidence that that's going to be the case. In fact, I'm here to tell you that that will not be the case. 
You don't get to stand on the fringes. You don't get to try and pretend that you're, there's something in you because you have an interest that that in itself sanctifies, justifies, changes, and puts you in the same place as a genuine Christian. It doesn't. You think of, you think of Judas Iscariot. I mean, I mean, Judas, it's not like Judas didn't want what Jesus was offering. He wasn't, it's not, he wasn't a militant atheist. He wasn't someone who was an ardent persecutor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while he's in the circle of the twelve, In his heart, he's standing in the fringe. And he has an interest in what's going on in the inner while his heart stands on the outside. That's a picture of many that sit in churches Lord's Day after Lord's Day. You stand in the inner. You're you're sitting among those that are the true disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, but your your heart is outside in the perimeter, watching on. And you're not saved. What you need is to see yourself. And child of God, pray. Pray that those unsaved here would see themselves. Would see themselves. They need to see the true condition of the heart. I may have told you this before, but it's, it's coming to mind funny story, one of the many funny stories that we see through the life of of Ian Paisley. But many years ago, when he was in his evangelistic labors and holding missions and preaching and so on, in one particular place, he's, he's, he's there conducting this gospel campaign, and, and he, he preaches, he preaches against you know, sin and self-righteousness, and he discusses the kind of people that may not go to heaven. They can be Sunday school teachers, they can be deacons, they can be elders, they can be in the choir, they can be engaged in all sorts of external forms of Christianity, but, but they're lost. And after the service, apparently this woman came up to him and was, was very troubled by the picture that he had painted. And he said, you described me, and I, I'm... I'm greatly offended by this. And she tries to justify herself and all the rest of it. And (laughs) he turned around and he said, you know, I have a picture of you in my pocket. And she's stunned by this, you know, this idea that he has a picture of her in his pocket. And she's like, what? What are you talking about? And he pulls out this little pocket Bible out of his pocket and he turns to it, to Isaiah chapter 1, that where, where it describes man as from the, from the sole of his foot to his head is nothing but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. And so he said, that's you. That's you. It's just wounds and bruises. That's a picture of you. That's a portrait of man. And we, we laugh at that, you know, the humor of it. And, but, but the point needs to, be, needs to be heard and received that we are not born into this world partly good. We're not born into this world halfway into the arms of Christ. We are lost 
And the scripture describes us and gives portraits that that is what we are from our head to our toe. Nothing but wounds, bruises, putrefying, pus-filled, oozing sores. That is the picture of man. We can't see ourselves. But when we, when we are in Christ, we begin to see ourselves. Dear Christian, never lose sight of the true nature of yourself. However bad sinners appear to be, make sure you're top of the list. You're, you're on the, the, the spiritual most wanted list of the worst sinner you know. Because you are. Rightly understood, you're always the worst sinner you know. But union with Christ also enables us to see God. And we get eyes to see. Eyes to see. When we come into Christ, when we embrace Him, oh, there, there's this, you know, the Christian's able to see what the world can't see. The Christ, Christian sees the beauty in the Lord Jesus Christ. The wonder of the one who, who condescended. Again, you, you go to Isaiah 53 and to the natural man, there is no beauty in him that we should desire him. But something happens. Something happens in the testimony of the Christian. They may not always be able to point to the exact time and date, but they can say, no, no. There is a beauty in Christ. There is a beauty in him. When I think of him, I cannot but think of all the beauty of him. It's not like the other people. When I think of other people, all sorts of faults may flood into my mind. Shortcomings may flood into my mind. Memories of, of the way I've been hurt may flood into my mind. And sore experiences may come into my mind. But when I think of Jesus Christ, it's lovely from beginning to end. All my view of him is beauty and glory. So this is what happens when we're truly saved. And this is what some of you, you need. You need to have this experience. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. That's what I'm praying for you tonight. That your blinded eyes will be opened. Opened. Those, those, those shepherds could see it. Those, those wise men from the east, they, their eyes were opened and they were able to follow and arrive and make that journey. And there were people in the area. They couldn't see it. Simeon could see it. Anna could see it. But others standing couldn't see it. Oh, pray that you're able to see it. Secondly, the curse of deafness reversed. The curse of deafness. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. With the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ is this work as well. Unstopping deaf ears. Now you have examples of this as well. Go to, go to Mark chapter 7. And you see another evidence of the working of the Lord Jesus here with regard to those that are in the category of the deaf. Mark 7 verse 31. We'll read from there. Mark 7, 31, follow along the word. And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came onto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude. 
and put his fingers into his ears and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Ephrathah, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain. Now you have again evidence here, someone who's deaf and you have people that are concerned about it. And they think this, 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 this Jesus is the answer. And so they bring him. And this, this is, again, it's, it's, it's teaching a spiritual truth. That what he is there to do is not merely in the limited frame of the short span of his ministry unstop the, the deaf ears of men, but that he is constantly affecting the ears of men, giving them ears to hear aright. So it enables us, first of all, to pay attention. When the Lord touches our ears, we are able to pay attention in a way without His touch we are unable to do. And let me show you that by, by the negative. Go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. When the Lord does not touch your ears, when you have not had the experience of Him touching your ears, you cannot respond positively to the Word. Now, you may not be as harsh as this. It may not be your, your animosity or your lack of interest may not be expressed in animosity as it is here. But in Acts 7, we'll read from verse 54. This is the occasion of Stephen standing before the Sanhedrin as he gives testimony before the council. Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. So he's speaking, he's preaching, he's appealing, he's calling out to them, he's preaching the word faithfully. Their response, they're cut to the heart. That's a good thing. That's kind of what you want. You don't want them sitting there, not affected by the word, numb to what's going on. This preacher is able to preach in a way, with the help of God, that the hearts of men must respond. And so they respond. They're cut to the heart, but they gnash on him with their teeth. That is, there's this kind of sense of, of cursing that's going on in their mind and heart. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing in the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. But you see what they did? They stopped their ears. They stopped their ears. I remember there was a senior's home that we used to visit in Balamani and do a senior home, like a care home ministry there. And there was a period in which there was a lady in one of those facilities and, you know, all the staff would bring them out into the place where we would sing and we would bring a short address to them. And there was one particular lady and, and when we would sing or especially when you began to preach she had put her hands over her ears and she would start muttering you know the, her 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 disapproval of what was going on and um, i'm not quite sure all that was being said by her but she definitely wasn't happy she was stopping her ears 
stopping her ears, just covering her ears. She didn't want to hear it. You think about that. She's, she's in a, a facility where she is staring at eternity. She is not far away and she should know it. And she does not want to hear the Word of God. So you see it negatively. What, what the condition that man can be in, turn over to Second Timothy chapter 4, you see it again. Dealt with by Paul in his epistle to Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 4. He's giving his, his charge to the young preacher. Second Timothy 4 verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Well, that happens too. You see this. These aren't like those in the Sanhedrin where they're, 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 they're so repulsed by it that it actually gets expressed in violent opposition. These are those who say, I don't enjoy that preaching anymore, so they, they shift to a place or they change the environment in which they hear the Word so that it becomes palatable to them, either by changing the preacher, as sometimes can be can happen where preachers are chased out of their pulpits or they change church, they go somewhere else. That it's, it's more, I like what I'm hearing here. Either way, it's a problem with the ear. It is a problem with the ear. The sheep hear His voice. They hear the voice through the, the feeling and stammering preacher, but they can hear the faithfulness and they can hear the appeal, and they can see in the young Timothy his effort to be faithful, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all suffering and doctrine. And they discern that, and they invite it, and they desire it, and they say to the young preacher, keep, keep up the good work, brother. We need the Word. Preach the Word. That's what we need, the Word. But there are changes. The, the, these, the ears of others, don't, they're not... They, they don't like it. They, they want something from the Bible to placate their conscience, to make them feel like a good American Christian, whatever that is. And they, that's what they desire. And so they'll, they'll, they'll go and change the environment. Get rid of that preacher who calls us to repentance. Get rid of that one who makes the message all about Jesus. And not about me and my felt needs. I need my felt needs met. Tell, tell me, tell me, Tell me the ways in which I can improve my life. I know Jesus can help, but, but, but talk more about the practical ways my life can be improved. Don't, don't mind the doctrine of the person of God's Son. In what way can Him as mediator help me living in the 21st century? In what way can He as prophet of the people of God help me as I navigate my life. And what way? And they don't want it. They just want these. The ear is the problem. The ear is the problem. But oh, what a difference occurs whenever the Lord gets a hold of the ear. When he changes the ear, and that's what he does. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Yes. Oh, I think back. 
and how the Lord unstopped my ears and all of a sudden began to hear, hear, hear what was being said. The implications of what was being put before me. And to feel the sense of personal responsibility to to obey. So Christ, He touches the ear. He comes to sinners and he, He unstops their deaf ears. So that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. And everything changes then. Everything changes. So the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. That's what this, the God-man born in Bethlehem is coming to do. He is coming as a physician. A physician to the needs of men. He is coming as the one who created a perfect world. And he is being born that through his incarnate existence, he begins to recreate, to reverse the effects of the fall. Third, the curse of lameness also is reversed. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart or as a deer. I'm sure you, you can depict that. You can see that in your mind. The deer as it scampers. It's, one, it's amazing to see some of these creatures move, isn't it? When you see them, the gazelles and so on, when you see them leap. That was, that was something... <laughs> you know, before you go to... Australia, I mean, long, you, know, you all know what kangaroos are, right? You, you know, everyone knows what a kangaroo is, and you know how it moves. This thing hops along, right? You're aware of that. It's another thing entirely to see one of those creatures move at full speed. It is quite something. You, just, you can't, on screens and video, you can't visualize, you can't see it until in person you see this thing moving at like 45 miles an hour in these bounds where it does leap across the road as if it's not there. It's quite something. Quite something indeed. But here it's not a kangaroo, it's a deer, which can do similar things. Just leap over fences like they're not there. And this is what the Lord has come to do for those that are lame. You remember the man that was sick of the palsy in Mark 2? You remember his four friends had a concern for him and they, amidst all the crowds surrounding the Lord Jesus, they're so determined we need to get our friend help here. And they climb up onto the top of the building and they pull apart the roof and they let down their friend at the feet of Jesus. And the Lord Jesus addresses the need. Arise, take up thy bed and walk. And we're told immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it in this fashion. Never saw this before. What is this? You see something similar in John 5. You go to John 5, you have one of the miracles given in, in John's gospel. 
where he's very, very particular about the, the miracles that he records. In John 5, verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And you can, you can understand that. You know, the others with the other ailments, some of them can move themselves quickly to get down there. This man is unable to do that, so he's sitting there, constantly unable to receive the help. Verse 8, Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed, and walked. So again, you see it. He just, he just speaks. And, and what, what are we being told in this? What, what's, what's the indication? What is it saying about you? You're without Christ. It's illustrating a spiritual condition. A spiritual condition. You're no sooner reading of that event in John chapter 5 than you move into John chapter 6, where it tells us, is it, is it verse 44, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And so you, you have even there illustrated later in John 6 what's true in John 5. You can't get to the remedy. You don't have the power. You don't have the strength. You are spiritually impotent, truly powerless. You can't move toward God of your own accord. You can't get yourself there. You can get yourself to church. You can even get yourself to pick up the Bible on occasion. You can get yourself to prayer. You can get yourself to all kinds of spiritual exercises and duties. But to get yourself to God, you can't, can't do it. That is what is illustrated. No man can come. You just you can't of your own will get yourself there. And so you say, well, what am I to do? What am I to do? Well, you cry out like blind Bartimaeus. Have mercy! In Acts chapter 3, you have that wonderful, wonderful occasion. Not just because of what happens, but how the Lord uses it to open up a wonderful gospel opportunity when the man who was lame from birth is, is healed, and this wonderfully depicts the, the, what our passage is telling us, then shall the lame man leap as in heart. Heart is just leap up. So we're told in Acts 3, verse 1, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, 
And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood. <laughs> He'd never done this before. He, wa- he watches people do this all the time. He, he's not done it. And he leaps up. I love it. Stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering what on earth is going on. But it illustrates the point, doesn't it? This is what Jesus comes to do. He comes to to give ability where there is no ability. Friend, you can't save yourself. You can't. You can't do what is necessary to deal with your sin. You can't walk in righteousness. You can't walk in perfect obedience. You can't meet up to God's standard. You can't, as I say, even get yourself to God. You're powerless. My call to you is simply to cry out for mercy. Cry out for mercy. You will hear the cry. Stop, stop with all the excuses. Stop with the delays and the hesitation. Finally, the curse of dumbness reversed. See, also in our passage, the tongue of the dumb sing. Oh, so many ways we could think about this. Very briefly, you think of how, how, how we're unable, not just to sing, but, but other things we're unable to do. The tongue of the dumb has changed so that, for example, we're able to pray for the first time. We're able to pray. Now, now you can pray at other times. Even people who aren't Christians pray. I remember a man I worked with who used to pepper me with all sorts of questions and was filled with doubt and would ask me at times about things concerning the Bible. And He would go to church, but he wasn't saved. And, and he, you know, he would act as if he had absolutely no sort of thought that God was real. He would go to church, but he just, you know, he'd question me, is God real, you know, and so on. And he told me, he told me on, on occasion, he, he, can't, he couldn't swim. He was a very poor swimmer. And he went to one of those, those pools that had, had a wave machine. And they turned on the wave machine, and he gets caught in one of these narrow areas of the pool, and he, he, is, he is drowning right there in the pool. He cannot get his head above water. And he said that while I was down there, and I didn't know what to do, I couldn't get my head above the water, I just cried out to God. And then the lifeguard came, put the pole, and I was able to grab the pole, and he dragged me out of there. And I, I said to him, Alistair, Alistair, you, you, you're constantly, constantly you're telling me about whether you believe in God or not. And yet, in a moment where you're not even thinking, where you're wondering what's going to happen next, your instinct is to cry out to God. Why is that? Why is that? You know there's a God. You know there's a God. You're made in His image. You have it of Saul of Tarsus, don't you? Did he pray? He prayed. No doubt he prayed. But one of the things that's evident after his conversion, when Ananias is being told to go to him, one of the marks 
the Lord says, Behold, he prayeth. Now that shouldn't have been a stunning thing to Ananias. This man's a Jew. He's a Pharisee. Of course he prays. He fasts twice a week. But there was something different about that prayer. This was true prayer. His tongue had been loosed to commune with God. We not only pray, we testify as well, don't we? We begin to tell everyone. We begin to talk about it like the man who was, who was blind from birth in, in John 9. He can't hold it in. He has to explain to everyone what's happened. Whereas once I was blind, now I see. You can say what you like. But this is what's happened. And this is what we do as well, isn't it? We tell people. And of course we sing, which is what the passage says. The tongue of the dumb sing. Maybe this is the highest use of our tongues. I think it may be. The most exalted use of the faculty of speech is to sing, obviously, unto God. And so he enables us to do that. So all this gets reversed. These, these individuals who are blind, who are deaf, who are lame, who are dumb, they're transformed by Jesus Christ. And so, when you see and you consider and you ponder that infant born in Bethlehem and you consider all the details surrounding it, don't miss out on the reason why. And don't forget what He is capable of doing. He transforms lives. And He is able to give sight. And He is able to change the way you hear. And He is able to enable you to walk in His ways and bring glory to His name. And He enables you to sing praises unto Him with a true transformed heart. He hath put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and shall fear. And fear and shall trust in the Lord. So, those of you who are saved, this is what the Lord has done for you. You were once blind, now you see. Deaf, now you hear. Lame, now you walk and you leap like a deer. And once dumb, and now you sing. Why? Who maketh thee to differ from another? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? If thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? This is all the Lord's work. And so we are, we are amazed that, the, that God, who takes eyes and takes ears and takes a mouth and, and takes limbs then imparts proper use of the same to those who come into contact with them. Have you had that? Have you? If you have, praise God. If you haven't, why? Is there something wanting in your knowledge? Is there something you don't yet understand? Is there a barrier that says others may have it, but I can't? Is there an argument going on in your head that says, sometime not today? Or a query about whether or not you've outsinned the possibility of being saved? 
What is it? What is it? There should not be a single person who's able to understand the words that are being communicated tonight. There should not be a single one leave here without a knowledge of your sins forgiven. There is no reason, no excuse. So I appeal to you in the Lord's name. Take that name of Christ upon your lips and do so in a cry. Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. Let's bow together in prayer. People are saved all the time. God is constantly calling sinners to himself across the world this very day. No doubt multitudes have been brought to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Some of them maybe heard the gospel for the first time this very day. They never heard it before. They never had the message presented to them. Today was the first day they ever heard it. And they responded. They called out to the Lord to save them. Yet you're sitting here having heard it for, you can't even count up the number of times, and you're still not saved. It's time to seek the Lord. If I can be of help to you, let me know before you leave tonight. Gracious God, we pray, bless thy word. We are thankful that the Lord Jesus didn't limit his work of changing lives to the few years of his ministry, but he has been changing lives for millennia. And many of us here can testify of the way that he changed us. Things that we couldn't hear, we're able to hear. Things we couldn't see, we're able to see. We bless Thee for Thy grace to us. And we have received it. It's not, it's not of us to boast about. Our glory is in the cross and in the Lamb who has finished the work. Oh God, we pray, please give, give a hearing to those without Christ tonight. Those in this place who are hesitating and stumbling when the way is so clearly put before them. Help them to press in. Help them to die to every excuse and to hear the beckon of the Son of God to their souls. So give deciding grace, we pray. Bless our fellowship in this place and downstairs. And once again, may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with all thy people now and evermore. Amen.